Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Ansaro, Senior Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. A recent study reported that although genomic testing is recognized in care guidelines as key to determining the right therapy in metastatic colon cancer, overall biomarker testing rates remain poor. On this episode of Managed Carecast, we speak with one of the authors of the study, Stuart Goldberg, a hematologist-oncologist at the John Thurer Cancer Center at Hackensack University Medical Center. Dr. Goldberg is also the hospital's first chief of the Division of Outcomes and Value Research, and so we also talk about the relationship between value-based medicine and precision medicine, and the promise of delivering improved outcomes at lower costs by avoiding ineffective therapies through the use of specialized testing and diagnostics. Welcome to Managed Carecast, Dr. Goldberg. Hi, thank you for inviting me. In your study, you and your co-authors note the promise of genomic profiling for mutations that can predict outcomes or response to treatment, but you found that biomarker testing rates are suboptimal. Can you briefly describe the study that was published in JCO Precision Oncology? Yes, sure. So we've known for many years that biomarkers testing for genomic mutations is an important part of colon cancer. These have been part of the ASCO guidelines, they've been part of the NCCN guidelines, the CAP guidelines um, for many, many years. And we know that, for example, if you are mutated in EGFR, then you may not respond to certain monoclonal uh, antibodies. So for the men part, the testing makes the patient not eligible for certain therapies and we don't then therefore give them expensive treatments that aren't going to work. So what we wanted to find out was, are these biomarkers being actually tested in, in the real world community? So we went to the CODA database, which is a large uh, database taken from the electronic health records of patients throughout the country. Um, so we looked at multiple different states and both academic centers as well as community centers. And we pulled the electronic records for patients with newly diagnosed colon cancer, metastatic colon cancer. And we looked to see in those records did the patients have the genomic testing that was done for the year in which the, test, the patient was diagnosed? Because over the last decade, we've added new markers and new, new genomics, and so we wanted to make sure that the patient in that year, whatever year they were diagnosed, did they get all the guideline re recommended testing? One of our hypotheses was that patients would actually, um, you know, as doctors were getting more familiar with genomics, that their rates would go up. What we found, however, when we looked at uh, over 1,000 patients was that the rates actually did not go up. In fact, a little bit went down. Yes, doctors were more familiar with, it, with genomics and were ordering them more often, but because more markers, more genomic uh, mutations were now required, they weren't keeping up and getting all the right testing. So only about 40% of patients actually were tested for all of the genomics that were recommended for that particular year in this retrospective chart review. What are some of the barriers to testing, and what are some of the possible solutions? In other words, what can be done to help educate these doctors to learn about the newer uh, tests that are out there? Yeah. Well, in our study, we didn't really, we were doing it retrospectively looking at the charts, so we really couldn't say exactly why the tests weren't being done, but we had some hypothesis from some of the other work that we've done in the past. Part of it is education. 
I mean, physicians do know that genomics are part of this, um, and they were ordering tests, but as the tests keep, as new tests keep coming on the market, such as BRAF and HER2, which are some of the newer ones that are being added to the guidelines, physicians aren't catching up with that. They're ordering the older tests, but maybe not catching the newer tests. So, you know, CME, paying attention to what's changing, watching the guidelines is important so that you stay up to date on what needs to be done. The second piece is educating the insurance industry. Insurance industry wants to pay for as little as possible. And as, you know, if you have to order individual tests and the, the insurance industry says, well, we're only going to pay for test A and B, but we're not going to pay for these large panels, well, they're going to end up missing things. So we have to really exp explain to the insurance industry that payment for these tests in the long run is good for the patient and actually may, be, may actually be cost effective because what we saw in our study is that if every single patient had undergone the testing, it probably would have been cost effective. It would have actually been cheaper because many of the patients who weren't tested ended up getting the monoclonal antibodies that don't work. So you're paying for an expensive test, an expensive treatment that doesn't work, giving the patient no benefit, and in the long run, that money could have been used to get the right tests for everybody in the whole group. And it wasn't that many patients because the tests are relatively inexpensive compared to the cost of the therapy. We also need to work on coordinating care between the different physicians. That often it's the, you know, the GI doctors does the biopsy, that biopsy goes to the pathologist, the, the hematologist oncologist doesn't have access to it, it's done in a different hospital, can't get the tests. Now we're stuck with, oh, do we, buy, do we get a liquid biopsy currently? Do we try to track down the, t the tissue? So there's a lot of coordination efforts that need to be worked out in not only just colon cancer, but we sound the same thing in lung cancer. So coordination of care is still fragmented in our society, especially when patients cross different specialties and different hospitals. Does it become even more complicated if a, a patient has more than one type of cancer that needs to be profiled? Well, fortunately, many patients don't have more than one cancer, but the more complex the disease is, um, the more complex everything becomes. And it's really more a question of not so much different diagnosis, but crossing medical systems. I mean, if they're treated in one hospital system and then they go to another hospital system, getting that biopsy, getting the coordination of care often becomes very difficult. Because as you know, our, our electronic health records don't talk to each other, um, our insurance doesn't talk to our, our doctors don't talk to one another. So coordination of care becomes a big issue in trying to do simple things like getting genomic profiling. What are the implications for patient care if undergenotyping occurs? Well, if we want to move to the world of precision medicine, which is where we want to be, that means giving the right therapy to the right patient. And I also argue in my other hat that we should be giving it at the right value. But if we want to give the right therapy to the right patient, we need to be able to know what that patient is, what the genomics are. And so we really need to be thinking about getting all the genomics and explaining to the patients what the importance of this is, educating the patients, and trying to make sure that we get all the right tests. And that's another area where we have lacked in, lacking in, in explaining what the importance of these tests are to the patients. So you just mentioned your other hat that you wear in your work. Would you say that precision medicine is perhaps another form of value-based care? and? Can you describe the work that you're doing now since you've been in a new position for about a year? Yeah, so I, I run our, at our hospital our new division of outcomes and value research. And we realize that as medicine is moving to a value-based world, 
that we really need to be having somebody at our center that's focusing on what are the outcomes, what's the value. The days of doing old-fashioned chart reviews and going downstairs and you know once a year you know writing my ash paper or my, writing my ASCO abstract and sending my residents or fellows or students down there and that's gone. We have electronic records so we can actually mine the data in real time on all of our patients and learn what we're doing. And we hope that by doing that, we will actually see the better outcomes, see what things are working, what things aren't working, and then start moving us towards better outcomes, better value. Um, and this is important not just for academics, um, but it's also important for our pocketbook. Our practice is participating in the oncology care model, and we're going to get paid based on are we practicing value-based medicine? Are we, are we being most effect, uh, efficient in what we're doing? And so we felt at our center we needed somebody, you know, a physician who's going to be able to look at the outcomes and be able to talk to the other physicians in our practice and say, hey, you're doing this, but you know this drug, is this biosimilar might be cheaper and give you the same outcomes. Um, or spend a little more money on a genomic test because in the long run, yes, it's going to be cheaper for the patient. And we actually proved that at our center several years ago. We did a study on oncotyping. That's several thousand dollars to do an oncotype. And so you would say, well, we're going to add several thousand dollars to every single case with, of breast cancer. Well, it turns out that oncotypes often will move patients from getting expensive chemotherapy to getting less expensive and equally effective hormonal therapy. So if we did the test on every single patient, we ended up moving a lot of patients who, from chemotherapy to hormones. The patients benefited, and in the long run, it was cheaper, and so therefore, we were much more value-based, and it helped our practice. Now, you could argue that in a patient who is 90 years old that you're not going to give chemo, there's no reason to do an oncotype. Don't spend the genomics. And likewise, if you have a stage one early tumor, very small, you don't probably need to do the oncotype because you're not going to be giving that patient chemotherapy. But in that stage two disease, which is what we found in our analysis, where the patient was in the middle, where the doctors, and we actually looked at what our doctors were doing they were giving a lot of those patients chemotherapy, and the oncotype moved enough of them over that they saved money that it paid for the, for the genomic testing. You mentioned the oncology care model, and as you know, next year, uh, your, your practice and many other practices are looking at oncology care first um, over the next couple of years. How will oncotyping and genomic profiling and all of that play a role in savings for your practices? Yeah. So the oncology care model, as you know, the current one is a six-month model, which is a little dangerous for, for some physicians when we talk about genomics, because if you're going to spend three or $4,000 for the test now, and you're going to be graded on what happens in the next six months, you've got to recoup that money pretty quickly to make it balance. It turned out that the oncotype in our model, when we did, this, when we did a study, and we actually found that we saved enough money in that first six months to make it even worthwhile. Mm. So some of these genomic tests, although they're expensive, they do not only, not only do they help the patient, but we actually could find that they could fit within these short models. Our hope is that as value-based medicine becomes more common, that we're going to go away from a six-month model to a longer models um, where you can start doing things and hope that it's going to help patients down the road. But right now, you know, we're stuck with these short models. Um, which is, you know, it's, that's one of the problems with, with some of the, the models, but we're still learning in, in the value-based world, so I think we'll see that. Have you seen a big difference in the role of, um, in the uptake of biosimilars 
when it comes to genomic profiling and these other tests? Well, biosimilars is another area that is important in value-based medicine. I mean, so when we look at the oncology care model, the current one that's on there, um, we see where are the costs, what, what are the things that are driving up the costs, and drugs certainly are at the top. Um, and if we can shift some of those, those drug costs down in price by using biosimilars, then that was going to help everyone. Now the question is, when we change from one drug to a different drug, we don't want to just do it on base, basis on cost. We want to make sure that, that we're continuing to have the same outcomes. And that's why it's important. Value is not just cost. Value to the medical econ uh, economist is very specific. It's outcomes divided by cost. So you have to have a similar outcome or a better outcome. I, mean, I don't mind paying a little bit more for, for, for a brand name white bread because it tastes a lot better than store bread. You know, so I feel that that's, I'm getting my value. I'm getting my money's worth but I don't want to be paying extra for something I don't get my money's worth. So value is not just saying, oh, what's cheapest? Unfortunately, I will tell you, the OCM model is often based just a lot more on costs and trying to reduce costs than looking at outcomes. In fact, that I think is the biggest problem with the current OCM is that outcomes are not even considered in the model. Do you think the OCF is an improvement? Well, OCM is the first step. And hopefully the next iteration, the Oncology First model, um, will be another iteration. We learned a lot from OCM. Um, this, in January 2020, is a critical piece because now we're going two-sided risk and our practice has decided to go two-sided risk. So this is the first time that really the OCM is going to hit our pocketbooks. And up till now, the first three years, it was only one-sided risk. We, there was no downside to it. So participating, you got your MEOS payment, you got your $1,000 per extra for patient, and that was supposed to help you transform your practice to do better things. Now we're going to see if all that tr practice transformation cha you know, translates to better payment for everybody and reduce costs as we go to the two-sided risk where now we're really having to put our money where our mouth is. So... You know, we'll see. Um, and then if that's successful, we might see other practices join the next iteration of the oncology care model, which should be coming in the next two years. And going back to the study on the metastatic colon cancer, were there any findings that surprised you in that study or anything else you want to say? Yeah. I think I was very surprised by that study. I mean, I knew that from our work in lung cancer that we weren't going to see all of the patients being genotyped properly. We knew that already. We know that education lacks. But we thought, and our hypothesis in doing the study was that, yes, doctors were familiar that there are certain genes you have to test in colon cancer, and that over time, people would learn, and they would get better and better and better. What I didn't anticipate was that over time, we got new genes that needed to be added, and physicians weren't keeping up. And so that more doctors actually ordered genetics, genomic testing, at the end of the study than they did at the beginning. But did they get all the tests they were supposed to get for that particular year? The answer is they actually went down. So yes, we're familiar with genomics. No, we're not peeping up as to what genomics to order. And I think that was the big surprise to me. I expected people were going to get better on both sides, and they didn't. Whose responsibility is it to alert physicians, educate them about the new test coming out? Well, I think that's the doctor's job. I mean, really, if you're going to be an oncologist, you really need to know what you feel, what you're treating. And if you don't feel comfortable and know, know what the latest changes are, then you've got to go to the CMEs. You've got to pay attention. You've got to do your work. Um, 
the field is changing. And it is very, very difficult for oncologists and hematologists today to keep up, especially as things are changing. I mean, just get back from ASH, just get back from ASCO, and whole things change overnight. And that's part of the challenges of our field, which is actually what makes it exciting for many of us. But at the same time, you have to do the work. You have to keep up to date, and you have to be looking at the guidelines. You have to be saying, okay, I know something I knew two years ago, but what's changed when I see the patient in front of me? So each patient that you see in front of you, you have to go back and start all over again. Um, and that's what I think we learned from the, the study, is that doctors now learn that they got to do genomics, but they then were using what they learned two years ago or five years ago and not saying, okay, genomics is now part of it, but what are the tests I have to order today? And they're always lagging behind, and that's not good for the patients. Any final thoughts on, say, educating payers on this issue? I think payers have been the people who have been lagging behind and have been a, an impediment, frankly. It's not, there's no question. They often will tell us that they want to pay for an in individual tissue marker, you know, do the, just the three tissue tests and don't pay for the big panel. But we know that there are many drugs in the pipeline. There are big basket trials being run by ASH, by ASCO, by commercial uh, pharmaceuticals that say, look, do a whole gene panel, and depending on which gene is mutated, you might be eligible for this particular trial, that particular trial with these new drugs. That world is where we're moving. The approval of immunotherapy for MSHI high, you know, MSI high, where it's across cancers just based on the genetics, really changed the field because now we're starting to think of cancer not just as a breast cancer or colon cancer or lung cancer, but as a genetic, genomic disease. That based on the mutation, we're gonna pick different drugs. And that's a culture shift that is happening in the oncology world. We're gonna to have to explain that and teach that to our insurance carriers. Otherwise, they're gonna just clamp down and we're never gonna get paid. But I think that we're starting to see that seed change even in the insurance industry, but it's something that's gonna, that we really need to work on over the next several years. And one final question, besides the development you just mentioned, um, is there anything else in the field of oncology that you're looking very excitedly at for 2020? I think that as a hematologist, I'm extremely ex excited at the CART therapy treatments that are coming out. Um, the whole world of immuno immunotherapy, be it in the solid tumor with you know, the, the immunotherapy drugs in the, hemat in the hematology, the same idea of being the CART therapies, adds another quiver to our, to our, our, our group of therapists. We have surgery, we have radiation, we had chemotherapy when I was training, then we added transplantation, then we added targeted therapies, and now we're seeing the development of immunotherapies, and very shortly we're seeing the genomic diagnostic being revolutionized. Where I think we're going to go next over the next several years is the data, is the mining of the electronic health records and the use of all this real-world data, which we're just starting to see, you know, that sort of shape how things, and you don't need to wait 50 years to get a randomized clinical trial if you start to see the data and start seeing where things are pointing. So the data revolution that's coming will then direct all of these other areas of interest. So I think that for an oncologist, this has been extremely fun five, six, seven years as we've added targeted in immunotherapy we see some new things happening in transplant with CARTs, and I think the data revolution is going to really change everything. Um, so, and then we'll have to see if it cost-effective value, because that could be the, the, the thing that really kicks us up, or it could be the thing that really clamps us back down. And that's going to be the healthcare debate that's going on in the country.
Well, you gave us a lot to think about as we kick off the new year of 2020 with uh, this podcast. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. To learn more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.